Church again, it's so good to be with you today, and um, I'm actually going to work pretty quickly through this message, and you're like, prove it, um, but we, I really am, and the reason why is because um, there's some stuff at the end that I really want to be able to, to not hustle through, and so just in terms of application and what this is going to look like for us moving forward, um, I want to be able to get to that, and so this text that we're going to be in, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, verse 1, and so th- there's, there's more to say about this text than one uh, message could hold, um, especially one message that has a large uh, implication, application for us as a church, okay? So just know that going into it, and uh, yeah, um, we've been walking through uh, our vision for City Church. Uh, this is our, our whole church's vision uh, for over the next, next five years, all right? So if you've been here for one of the last three weeks, you've probably heard some component of that. We've, oh yeah, kids, thank you, Erica. Kids, kids, you're, go, be free. They're like, you're working too quick. You missed the part about the kids. Sorry. I was on a mission, guys. All right. <laughs> you could tell. All right. I'm like one track mind up here. Uh, kids, you're staying in here. We're all in. We're locked in together. All the visitors are leaving too. They're like, this was neat. A short trip to church today. All right. All right, kids are gathering in the back while, while they are. Um, uh, hey, kids, we love you. You guys have a good morning. And um, Trey, thanks for leading, man. Um, okay, so uh, we've been walking through this vision. If you've, if you've been here, you've heard either a, a message on revival, on joyful worship, uh, or advancing God's kingdom in every generation, okay? So those have been the three weeks so far, and that's, that's our vision as a church. Okay? We're gonna dream about this, talk about this, plan for this, resource towards this. That's what we're setting our eyes on. The north star of this whole thing is actually God's vision for the whole church, um, but we are trying to chart a course towards that north star, okay? Uh, which we believe is a revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom in every generation. Okay? Now, there's two threats to our pursuit of this. That, As I was thinking about this uh, time together this Sunday, there's two threats to our pursuit of this. And one is that the words won't make their way into your life at all. We just say those things, and they just stay about 30,000, maybe 40, 50,000, 60, 100,000. They don't ever make your way even into your stratosphere okay? uh, of uh, the, the ground level uh, in the weeds of your life, okay? That's, that's a real possibility. I uh, was recently asked at Central Market by an employee. Uh, they were just, I was going through the store, you know, sampling everything I could. Um, and uh, this one um, gal, she, she looked at me and she said, what are they? And I was like, what? Are you, like, are you, you have the samples, you know, <laughs> uh, and I just, I, and then she pointed at my shirt, and she said, what are they, and my shirt said, the benefits of really knowing a place, okay, <laughs> and, uh, and it was a shirt that I got because I worked for this company briefly, and that was like their tagline or something, and uh, it was probably their vision, or you know, like that's, that's what it was, I was like, oh, this is just a t-shirt, and I don't even know what the benefits of really knowing a place are. Like, I don't, I don't know. I never found out. I just got the T-shirt, you know? And, uh, and uh, I think that that's really, that happens a lot, man. That happens a lot in organizations, uh, uh, big organizations, much less uh, God's church, okay, that that can happen where it's, it's just a T-shirt. Like, we just write that on stuff, or maybe it's on our website, but it, it doesn't actually make its way into your life to where somebody looks at you and says, what is joyful worship all about? 
So we did with our volunteer team this morning. Hey, where's joyful worship come from? For the record, I think it comes from radical grace, which I love. Um, it's amazing. And, uh, but yeah, it's a threat. It's a threat to our vision as a church that it would just be words on a shirt, words in a message, and never actually make its way into your life. Okay? That, would, that would completely hamstring our, uh, our journey towards a revival of joyful worship since it hinges upon that actually happening in the lives of our people. Okay? But nevertheless, it's one threat. The other one that I thought about is that you will only think of it in terms of yourself. There's two threats. That's the second one. That you would only think about this vision in terms of yourself as an individual. You will simply try to live this vision in the context of your own life. Okay? Uh, you will insert this vision into an individualistic worldview. That's, that's a real threat to this vision. And it's actually that, that individualistic worldview is the dominant worldview of our culture and of more and more cultures around the world. Uh, in, in South Korea, they're actually building restaurants now that are eat-by-yourself restaurants, right? Uh, and it's like all the introverts are like, man, I'm moving to South Korea, y'all. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's spicy food, but I'm in, you know? Um, no, but it, it's a sad thing just at a higher level for the culture that that's actually the dominant way in which people are uh, eating their meals is by themselves. And so there's actually an epidemic of isolationism uh, that follows a culture of individualism. I, and believe me or not, the, the, uh, I mean, Riley, Riley's in here, Craftwork is actually trying to engage with that very thing, right? Um, uh, and so this epidemic of isolationism follows a culture of individualism. Um, and so what I want us to look at today in terms of our vision, these two threats, I want to address the second one. Um, and, uh, and so what we're going to look at is, who is this vision for? And how are we pursuing it? Okay? We've talked about what it is. And if you want to talk more about that, I am your guy. Okay? I love talking about that. But also all of our other elders, leaders, uh, folks in around this, talk about with each other. I've, I've heard more good insights about joyful worship, advancing God's kingdom from you than I have from me. I promise you that. Okay? And so keep asking one another, talking about that. But what we're talking about today is, who is the vision for and how are we pursuing it? If vision is where, then we are talking about how we are getting there, okay? And the how has everything to do with the who. I know that's a lot of, like, pronouns. Uh, but, uh, but the how of getting there has everything to do with who is getting there, okay? And, and if you hear nothing else today, uh, we're going to get there. We're going to pursue this vision as one church, one body, one unified community making disciples, okay? We're going to pursue this vision as one Unified community making disciples. All right, we're going to unpack what that looks like. Um, and, and man, my conviction on this is if we're going to reach this place in five years, if we can look back and say, wow, God did this. He did this in our midst. Stand there kind of in awe. He did this. We can see this. We see this echo, like rippling out in my own life, in my neighbor's lives. And every generation we saw God's kingdom advanced. Uh, if we're going to reach that, we're going to reach it together. I think that's what the scriptures teach us, okay? And, uh, and so we're, the movements of Ephesians 1 that we're going to look at, how are we unified, how are we distinct, and how do we grow? Okay, it's not, uh, you don't have to remember those, but if you need some anchors for how the text flows, I think that's, that's it. How are we unified, how are we distinct, and how do we grow? Okay, so uh, Ephesians 4.1, that's where we're going to be. Paul has just spent three chapters. If you've read Ephesians, uh, Paul spends the first three chapters just recounting the wonders of the gospel and how it changes who we are. 
Okay, and he just goes off. There's some long sentences in Ephesians, uh, especially these first, first chapters where Paul just goes crazy with the wonders of what the gospel has done uh, to us as people, who we are in Christ. And, um, and it, it's like this really amazing reality. Like if I'm looking for a place to point to the actual dynamics of the gospel on my soul, a lot of times I just end up going to Ephesians. It's a very complete uh, set of doctrinal uh, points that Paul makes. Okay, it's a really complete book. Um, and, uh, and so I'll just turn to Ephesians 1 through 3, and that's where it's at. Um, it's just full of worship, and it's full of wonder. And one of, just for the record, one of the best Bible reading plans I've ever been on is just read Ephesians as many times as you can in a row. Try it, all right? It's, it's amazing. Uh, and, uh, and so anyway, we're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, and in, that, in this chapter 4, he makes a transition, and he's beginning to help us um, work out this identity that we have in Christ. Okay, so uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, he explains what the identity is, and then starting in chapter 4, he's going to explain how this works itself out in our lives. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so let's start in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He says, I, therefore, is Paul... Uh, a prisoner for the Lord. He was actually in jail. It's not just like a saying. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so what he's saying, we're going to stop right there for just a second. Okay, this is the, uh, I, the way that identity is lived out. It's lived out in the context of community. Okay, so our identity in Christ is lived out in the context of community. The actual whole letter testifies to this. This is not a letter to the individuals around Ephesus. It's to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, it's to the church that is in Ephesus. He's writing to a group of people. And this section is actually addressing a plural you. It's not addressing individuals. Okay, it's not writing to an individual person. He's writing to a community of people. And so this uh, identity we have, this calling we live, have is lived out in the context of a community. So our calling as Christians is in the context of the church. Okay, so I just want you to hear that. Our calling as Christians is in the context of the church. And the emphasis that Paul is making, before he tells them anything else about the Christian life, so he just says, I mean, he spent three chapters just like, just uh, broad strokes, amazing realities about uh, who we are. And then the first thing he goes into, the first thing he does is talks about how we relate to one another as those who have received uh, what he says earlier in Ephesians, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So the first thing he does is talk to us how we relate to one another as those who have received these riches of kindness, riches of grace and kindness. Okay, and so what I want to just say real quickly is if you are here and you're not really sure where you are with Jesus, okay, maybe everybody else thinks you're sure where you are with Jesus. If you are not sure where you are with Jesus, I want you to hear today's message, the rest of it, but really I want you to hear everything in chapters 1 through 3 that Paul just got done saying, uh, which explains the source of our joyful worship. It's the starting place for you. And so that, if, that's not, if that's where you're at today, you're trying to understand where am I at really with Jesus, I want to start the conversation for you in Ephesians 1 through 3. And uh, the bottom line from that is that in Jesus we are offered forgiveness of an infinite debt. And so I want you to receive that gift today. That's what's being offered freely 
So if you're in Christ today, that's, that's what it means, is that you received this gift that paid an infinite debt you could never afford. Those are the immeasurable riches of God's kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. Don't, don't forget that, okay? Uh, it's worth just sitting in for a moment. And, uh, and that's, that's where you're at. Like, if maybe somebody brought you here. Or maybe there's somebody you want to bring. I'm going to, as much as I can, remind people of the gospel of Jesus. And I hope you do the same. It's the best news. Okay? Uh, and so if you're in Christ, however immature you might be, Paul is emphasizing something here. Um, that unity as God's people is not nice. It's not a nice thing to have. Uh, it's necessary to have. Okay, unity is God's people is not just nice, it's, it's necessary to who we are, okay? And so um, consider for a second, my, uh, I have a friend named Halim, who's a, he's a preacher in Austin, and, and he, uh, he asked this in a helpful way, just to consider the fundamental result of sin in your life, sin as a person. What is the fundamental result of sin? With, I mean, wages of sin is death, but what is even death? Death is a separation from God. So what does sin cause? It causes separation. Separation from God and then from one another. That's the result of sin in the world and in you. And so uh, the fundamental result of the gospel then is reconciliation. Remember in, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about how we are ambassadors of what? Reconciliation. It's a bringing back together. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is atoned for. That's the, this, this uh, theological term for what Jesus' work was doing. It was atoning. And that word is the most funny, uh, just compound word ever. It, it literally comes from at one. It's to bring two things at one, to return them to being one. That's what atone means. And so God has made us at one with himself. He's unified us. And so how are we unified as God's people, the church? With the unity of God. God is three persons in one, and that unity is uh, eternal, and it's complete. It's a really beautiful picture. He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That body that he's talking about is the church. The group of people for whom Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed, he prayed this for, for the church. In John 17, 11, he said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus is very, very concerned about the unity of his church, of his people. That's what he was praying for. The night that he was that he's going to be betrayed and then go to the cross, you know what he prayed for us? Not, he said, not just for those who are here with me, but everyone who will believe because of their testimony. I'm praying that they will be one. There's this unity, this important unity uh, that Jesus is praying for us. And so why? And he, here's the deal. It's because following Jesus is not your own personal adventure. It is not, it is not your adventure story of following you and Jesus on a grand journey together. That's not what Jesus is saying it is. When you, he says when you belong to Jesus, you belong with his church. When you belong to Jesus, you belong with his church. And, um, and that's actually something we long for as human beings. You're gonna, uh, there's interesting just the, the trend in, towards, uh, in, our, in our culture and society is actually moving towards uh, freedom in everything, which gives you a dosage of community and no, no meaning at all. 
but the community that it gives you is actually really lacking. Human beings don't just need just a, like a, a sprinkle of community. We need a lot of it. We actually, it's one of the fundamental things we long for is a people and a purpose, okay? A community and a cause, just to give you some alliteration to remember. Okay, so actually something we really long for is this belonging with a group of people, okay? And so you might have mixed emotions about the church, okay? So some people, when you hear the church, you might be like, hey, we, I'm a part of this church, but I still think about that church, or I still think about that place where I was really wounded, or this person who said that to me. So you might have a lot of baggage with the church, okay? And certainly there's some real like negative connotation just in our society about the church. Um, and so some of that is really warranted, people doing things in the name of the church that aren't in line with the name of Jesus. Okay, so some of that's really warranted, those feelings that you might have. People doing things in the name uh, of the church that are not in line with the name of Jesus. And that's, that's not okay. Um, but some of that's just the result of broken people being made into a new, uh, a new person. And that's just a messy thing. Okay, and so we all got in because of grace. And so it's not surprising that we need a lot of grace. Um, but God, I'll tell you this, he does not have any mixed emotions about the church. That's what's like really clear when you read the New Testament. God has no mixed emotions. He's not like, you know, I'm trying to make up my mind about the church. He, he has no mixed emotions. And you can tell this because of the way that he describes this group of people. He's just a bunch of, a bunch of pictures, but at least one of them is a body, okay? Another one of them is a bride. And another one of them is a home, which is like the temple in which God dwells, his place where he calls home. So think about that. Your body, your bride, if you're, or your, your husband, um, and your home. How do you feel about those things? Now, they're, they're like messy for sure. And there's things you want to see grow and change. But when push comes to shove, if something's happening to my bride, it's happening to me. Right? Jesus feels that way. When Paul is persecuting the church, what does he say? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He identifies with the church that deeply. Isn't that amazing? So he doesn't have any mixed emotions. He's able to see the church for what it is, for not what we perceive it to be as an institution. And so he sees the flaws and he sees all of it. And he says, I love that group of people and I'm going to see them through all of it. And so uh, people want to individualize their journey, uh, but being disconnected from God's people is not an option as we read it in the, as we read the New Testament. Being uh, a solo Lone Ranger Christian is not the picture of, of following Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, and it's true that uh, that parts of this Ephesians passage and all over there, that Paul is and other people are talking about the church as the universal church. Okay, so there's a concept of like, hey, I can belong to the universal church without being a part of a local church. Okay, there's some sense in which that. Uh, people might, might think that, but the references to the church, here's what's interesting, the references to the church in the New Testament are overwhelmingly uh, talking about a specific local church. So if you, if you just add up all of the references to a, the word ecclesia in, in the New Testament, those references are by and large talking not about the universal church, but about a local specific manifestation of that global church. Isn't that interesting? Okay, and so J.I. Packer, because you might be tempted to think, oh, I can be one with the whole church instead of being a part of a local church. But here's how J.I. Packer puts it, and I think it's helpful. He says, essentially, the church is, was, and always will be a single worshiping community permanently gathered in the true sanctuary, which is the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of God's presence. Here are all who are alive in Christ, the physically living with the physically dead, worshiping continually. So that's the 
global church, the universal church, okay? But he says this, in the world, however, this one church appears in the form of local congregations, each one called to fulfill the role, each one called to fulfill the role of being a microcosm, a small-scale representative sample of the church as a whole. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so here's Packer. He's just an old, old theologian. And he's saying, yes, there is a universal church, but it is always discussed in this space where there is a, a local congregation, a microcosm, a small-scale representative sample of the church as a whole. Okay, isn't that interesting? So that's just the, 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 the way that the New Testament paints this picture. And so what does that mean for us? Okay, this is like, great, uh, the, the church, I get it, okay? But what does this mean for us as city church? It means that the revival of joyful worship we want to see is not simply in you as a person. It's in our church. The who in our how of vision is in our church. It's, our church is the who. And so this local manifestation of the body of Jesus in which individual people make up distinct parts. All right, I'm, just, I'm, I'm laying this ground. I want you to hear this and understand this and think through this with me, okay? And we want to, uh, I, I was driving down 35 yesterday. My wife and I went to New Braunfels uh, Thursday through Saturday, came back, and um, I saw this big sign and this big, like, funky-looking sign on the side of the road, and it said revival, and I had an arrow pointing to this barn. And, uh, and I was like, there it is, y'all. I guess we need to meet down 30. It's pretty far south, okay? It's not close, but I guess that's where we need to head, you know? Uh, but I was like, there it is. Revival's there, you know? And, uh, and in some ways, I think revival could be in here, but it's only in here in so much as we are in here, okay? Uh, for the record, I also saw one sign saying plastic surgery and pointed an arrow, like, down next to you. I was like, that seems dangerous, okay? I wouldn't trust either one of those signs, all right? I'm going to trust what God's word says, which is his churches and his people which gather in these local congregations. And so uh, uh, we want to lean into this as a church. We are one body. Yes, we are one body globally, uh, but also locally we are one flock, one a microcosm of that. We are unified but we're also distinct. Okay, here's what I want to get into. Distinction which serves to strengthen the worship of the whole. Okay, so track with me. We're going to keep, keep moving through this Ephesians 4. It says, but grace was, how, this answering, how are we distinct? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, what, what Paul is saying is we are unified uh, in one body, but distinct in our particular giftedness. Okay, and so there's an Old, Testa Old Testament reference that Paul is making here. Uh, there's about uh, ascending and descending. There's a lot of like movements in that. What, he, what he's saying is that Jesus, who descended from heaven, okay, Jesus wasn't just like um, created out of nowhere. He descended from heaven. He was somewhere. He defeated sin and death, and now he is ascended. Uh, and in, in his ascension, he gets to distribute people to, uh, gifts to his people however he wants to, okay? And so we are distinct in the gifts which, which we have received, uh, which Jesus has given. Okay, and so Paul continues in Ephesians 4.11. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, and so he's saying, now he's saying Jesus gives these certain gifted leaders to his church. Okay, and as I study this text, like, like I know there's a lot of like varying takes on this, but the sense is not that every one of these things uh, is the entire scope of what the gifts are. Okay, uh, it's that... That it's not that these are all the ways in which you could be gifted. 
Okay, that's not the, that's not the, the sense I get from the text and what uh, people are just are saying. It's, 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 uh, that, it's that there are certain gifted leaders described here, and that doesn't represent the full scope, the full universe of what those gifts might be. So we have gifts that we receive, but then Paul shifts gears and he starts talking about these gifted leaders. And for us, I think this is hard because we like to put uh, people on pedestals because of their giftedness. Like, that's, that's actually what we love to do. We, it's not like we just are kind of good at this. this is, we are good at this, y'all. This is like, we are awesome at this. I visited um, Texas A&M's uh, football facility this last summer, okay? Texas A&M's not, not a, there's no pedestal for greatness for that school's football program, okay? Um, I'm an Aggie, all right? And uh, I want to see us be better. But, but inside that facility, you know who is on a pedestal? Guess. Johnny Football, somebody said it? Right? There's like a literal, pet, like the Heisman Trophy case, the guy named John, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy, which is a big deal in football. Okay? And so he won this, uh, this, this uh, Heisman Trophy. And that trophy, man, it's like, it's like um, the only other thing comparative is like the, the Queen's Jewels. Okay? If you're like in England, it's like, dude, there's nothing they're more proud of than Johnny football at this school. Okay? We love to put people on a pedestal. Okay, but that isn't the way of God's church. Jesus is the head. Jesus gets the glory. These leaders that Jesus is describing, these gifted leaders have a particular role, a particular aim, and it has something to do with you. Okay, what's the aim of those gifted leaders? You might be one of them. To equip the saints, which you are one of, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay? So that word equip, when he says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that word equip, uh, it, 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 the, it comes from a word that, that also means something like setting a broken bone or putting something back in joint. There's a sense in which these gifted leaders are helping to get the members of the body in a healthy place for what? Using their gifts. So if there's leaders in God's church, those leaders are actually meant to uh, maximize the gifts of the people in that church building up the whole body. Does that make sense? Okay, so we, should we think about ourselves as individuals? This is where I'm not, we're not gonna go further into that. Should we think about ourselves as individuals? Yes, yes you should. This is not like a, hey, you don't, you're not even a person anymore, all right? Uh, you are, you are a person. You're an individual, but you are an individual vitally and critically connected to others. Do you see that? You're vitally and critically connected to others as an individual in God's church. And so, uh, much, uh, so much so that when Paul describes that building up the whole body, he says the goal is not individual, but it's community. Okay, look at this. He says the goal is not, is not individual, but community. He says until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he says, is it enough for you to have strong faith? Sterling, is it enough for you? Right? Kirk, is it enough for you? Is it enough for you individually to have a strong faith and strong knowledge? And he says, no, it's an us thing. This is an us thing. Look at this. He says, the phrase mature manhood is the goal. So track with me on this. Super interesting to me. The phrase mature manhood is, is the goal. So why should women want, to, want to, to attain mature manhood? Right? This is an interesting point. If, you're, if, it's, if it's a plural statement... It's a really weird thing to say. 
Because individually, women should actually want to attain mature womanhood, okay? Uh, Not mature manhood. But the phrase actually reads more like being a mature man or person. It's singular. The goal is not an individual goal. The goal is a community goal, okay? The goal is for us as a body to be a mature body. Does that make sense? Paul is not even thinking in terms of individuals except for in so much as they are connected to the body. So he says, until we all attain this maturity, which is a maturity of one body, okay? And so the measure of which is Jesus himself. So how do we grow? We grow toward maturity in unity, Okay, so keep tracking with me on this, all right? And so who, so what's on the line? He says, so that, is uh, 4.14, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and de- deceitful schemes. Um, I, I'm, again, going to work through these quickly. Your health is intimately tied to our health. There's no concept of a healthy life of discipleship apart from a local community. Um, And just for the record, there are tons of waves and tons of wind in our culture that would love to toss you to and fro. Um, There are some really sneaky things built into the the way that the enemy is working through culture right now. And it is very scary. Uh, And it will likely get you blown off course if you're isolated. So our disconnection from the body hurts us. But here's the deal. Hear me on this. Your disconnection from the body hurts the whole body. You aren't just, you, remember, you, know what, you know what appendicitis is? It's when your appendix uh, gets infected and then it ruptures and it's really bad for your body. Okay, but until, the, until it ruptures, it's not, it's not really doing anything. It's, a, it's kind of um, just an extra thing hanging out. It serves, right, Michael? This, he's Michael's doctor, right? There's not, it's not doing anything for you, right? Okay. Um, that's not who you are. All right? That's not who you are to the body. You're not just a, like an irrelevant thing just hanging out until you burst and cause a problem. <laughs> kind of plays out more than you think, right? That's not you. That's not who you are. You matter. Your disconnection hurts you, tossed to and fro, and your disconnection hurts the whole body. Here's why. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so what he's saying is you have a role to play, and, and, and the role to play gives us a direction of two connections to focus on. The first one is Jesus. Okay, uh, this, uh, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to know him secondhand. And actually, it's critical that you don't know Jesus secondhand. He says uh, uh, that we all would grow up into the head, into Christ. Okay, so you, have a, you need to have a vital connection to Jesus. This is not, uh, I've heard a guy say it this way, that there's a movement starts when a leader knows Jesus. A movement dies when the people know the leader. Yeah, let it sink in. That means that those people are disconnected from Jesus. That's how a movement dies. So it's not just about one person or a group of people being connected to Jesus. It's about all of us being vitally connected to Jesus. Okay? Then the second thing, also our connection to one another. So connected to Jesus and connected to one another. When we are connected and healthy, Jesus uses those connections to build up the whole body. Do you, do you see? This, I'm not making this up, okay? So he says... 
uh, when, it's, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so Jesus is using these connections to build up the body. And so here's what this, so when these connections are strong, the church thrives. When the church thrives, so do you as one of its members. All right. Um, so what we're envisioning then as our church in route to our eternal destiny in Jesus is life, life, which is life forever, is a revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom. And here's what I want you to hear today is that we are going to do this as a unified community making disciples. That's what I told you at the beginning. Okay, we're going to do this, pursue this revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom in every generation as a unified community making disciples. Okay? And so it's critical that those of you who are members are going to be members, okay, that you understand this, that you lean into this. Um, on our way to New Braunfels this last weekend, um, Lucy found out, we told her, maybe it was a mistake, that we were going to her grandparents' house. They're called Gammy and Tita. All right. Tita is uh, kind of my doing for her dad being called, my, my father-in-law being called Tita, and I kind of love it. So he embraces it. So we're going to Gamey and Titos. And so you know what Lucy said about 5,000 times on the way to New Braunfels, which is a four-hour drive? Gamey and Titos' house? Yes, we're going to Gamey and Titos' house. Gamey and Titos' house? Yes, we're going to But what we were tr constantly trying to get her to understand was that it's going to be a long way to get there, okay? That there's a pathway that we're going to be on. This is how we're going to get there is we're going to drive for four hours, okay? We're trying to get her to lock in on that. And so what I'm going to do is keep putting in front of us as a church this vision. Hey, this is what we're going for. This is where we're going. This is where we're going. So I'm going to be a bit of Lucy for us. But along the way, I also want to highlight the ways in which we're trying to pursue that vision, how we're getting there. Okay, and so uh, it's important to know how, and that means our vision, um, it, our vision doesn't serve our strategy or our structures, but our strategies and structures, they serve our vision. Okay, this is really, really important because strategies and structures, they become very, very built into who we are as people, and they, we hold on tightly to them, and the reason why is because they've served us really well, right? There's been something that they've done to help us actually get to a place we want to be, and they've been life-giving for us, okay? Um, and so the, the way uh, that we have thought about how to be structured as a church for a long time can probably be best said, I think, in, as, as communities making disciples. So if you're new to this conversation, you're like, I'm just catching up, dude. Okay, that, that's great. Uh, but if you've been around, then you, you probably could, could understand that we, city groups, they, these were communities making disciples. And so what I want to say today is that we believe the best way for us to pursue this vision of a revival of joyful worship um, as a church as a unified community, is, is to be a community making disciples, not communities making disciples. And uh, you might be like, sounds like a very subtle change. <laughs> and and it, it is a subtle uh, semantic change. It actually has a really big implications for how we structure ourselves, okay? Um, and so what we're doing, in a sense, is uh, making the bolded line, kind of reinforcing the bolded line of who we are as a church around the whole church community. Okay, so there's a way in which you could have a dotted line with these bolded lines of communities, right? And that's communities on mission. What we want to do is draw a bolded line around the whole thing and say we're going to be one unified community making disciples. Okay, and so it's not something that we're like, you know, it seems like a good idea. So let's just change something. You know, I think we should change something. So let's change this. That's not, that's not why. Um, I believe that that these, that what Paul was talking about in this passage right here that was in front of us 
uh, has everything to do with these connections. That word joints is actually probably best, like there's a, there's a way in which that's actually probably best connections. Okay? And uh, he was speaking to these type of connections inside a body of Jesus, okay? A local congregation of people following Jesus together, okay? And so these connections are vital. Do you, do you see this? They're vital to the health of the body and our church, okay? And so it's these connections in particular that we want to strengthen. We want to strengthen connections, not weaken them. And so it's in no way like unbiblical to be a network of communities on mission, okay? A lot of my very best friends are actually leading movements of people that are just that. But it's critical to know where the distinct bodies are that are needing distinct equipping uh, in order to thrive. And so in reality for us as a church, here's, here's the deal. We were floating somewhere between these two different kind of strategies, okay? So you think about a strategy of how we're going to get to a place. We probably were somewhere between these two places, right? And so what we're doing today is we're just committing to one of the paths. And so when you commit to one of those paths, you're going to understand where the equipping needs to happen. You're going to understand where the church is at, okay? And we're going to target and focus our uh, resources in that place. And so uh, here's the deal. Um, we, want to, we want to be a unified community making disciples, okay, which is a community uh, that see, is seen experiencing revival of joyful worship, advancing God's kingdom in every generation. So we want to be a singular community. And, and there are some things that flow from that decision. Okay, so if we're, if we're doing that together as one body, there's some things that flow out of that. Um, and so our vision produces strategy, and our strategy informs our structures. Do, do you track with me on that? Our vision informs our strategy, and our strategy informs our structures. It's the way that we organize, okay? And so I want to, I want to briefly uh, help you see what I think these structures look like, how we're going to draw this bolded line around our entire church family, Okay, and then how we're going to go about being a unified community that's helping one another grow as disciples of Jesus and inviting everyone around us into a life of discipleship. Okay, so bear with me. It's going to get a little bit. You're going to be like, whoa, this is like a different. This is different feeling all of a sudden. So we can go ahead. There. <laughs> so it's all of a sudden feels like, is that a, is that a PowerPoint? It's a keynote. Okay, it's different. It's like Apple's version. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, yes, there's a shift in that, but, but I, I'm getting you down just a little bit further in, in elevation to see kind of some of the weeds of all of this, okay? And we're going to pop back up in just a second if this freaks you out, okay? But I want you to see some of how this actually plays out because, again, we're not, it's not just like, you know what, let's just kind of uh, take a shot at this and let's just change that or let's, you know, reinforce this. It's not, that's, not what, that's not what our elder team is doing. It's not what our leadership teams are doing. They're, they're, we're saying, hey, man, with all of our hearts, we want to see this revival of joyful worship in you, in us. And there's people around us. I could talk about that part all day, and that's because it's what's on my heart. And that's going to say, that's going to drive us to being, okay, how can we then do that? And, and here's how I think we can. And just that it's not, it's just, there's nothing about this that's actually uh, novel. This is a very, uh, historic way of pursuing this, okay? There's nothing new about this. It's not like a new way we're coming up with doing church, okay? Um, but these are some of the environments that we want to pursue discipleship for our whole body, okay? So, uh, Neil, you got that? There you go. Gathered worship, okay? You're in it, 
Uh, so gathered worship is just a space in which we are regularly gathering as an entire body, okay? And it's, it's, it's an important thing, okay? It's not unimportant. This is a space in which regularly we hope people are coming into, both that are in our church to be refreshed, restored, refueled, okay, for the worship that they're going to carry out beyond this place, all right? So gathered worship is a big deal. Okay, it's not a small deal, um, and so we want to do it really well. That's part of why these, uh, these Sunday serve teams, we want to be excellent and consistent, okay? Um, secondly, um, uh, discipleship groups, okay? So you might be like, oh my goodness, where did, the, where did city groups go, right? Uh, are we not doing groups? We are, we are doing groups, but what we're doing right now, what I'm signaling, I'm, I'm waving a flag here to say there's something very different about the way we're going to pursue them. Different enough to say, we're going to call them something different. Something that has a heritage in our church of being really, really helpful for a lot of people. And so I get that. I really do. Uh, but what I want you to hear, I wrote it down so I want you to hear it. Groups are not going away. City groups are. But groups are not. And more importantly, hear this, your relationships are not. Do you hear me? Your relationships are not going away. We're not dismantling relationships by shifting a structure. We're actually trying to cultivate environments for those relationships to maximize nourishment for the members of them and the body as a whole. That's what's happening, okay? So because we wanna maximize the nourishment for the individuals in that group and the body as a whole, we're gonna, we're gonna actually refocus what groups look like inside this larger body, okay? And we kind of try to say what we think that they should look like. They look like a, a set of committed relationships that's helping one another grow as disciples. Okay, it's a very focused, committed space. All right? Um, this is, for the record, the beginning of a dialogue, not the end of one. Okay? And there, we'll, we'll have Q&A after this. If you want to say, lean into that, um, there's like a... This is like not the, hey, this is changing overnight. This is actually, hey, in January, we think over the next 90 days, we want to walk you and your city group through what that might look like for you. Okay? So if there's a part of you that's like, you know, alarms are going off inside of you. What do we do next week? What happened? This place is burning down, you know? Uh, for one, I get that. Some guys like telling you my group is different in this place where it's like, this is where I feel known and loved. Man, I want that to, to stay the same and increase, okay? And this is not an unthoughtful thing. This is a thoughtfully uh, done thing to try to pursue even more health for whatever group of people you're walking with deeply in Fort Worth, okay? So this over the course of 90 days, Tina, am I getting all these points? Okay. Tina and I have talked a lot about this because we care deeply about leading and guiding through that and not leaving room for confusion, Okay? Lots of space for questions, engagement there. Discipleship groups, I'm, I am convinced, as your pastor, uh, I am convinced that that environment will lead to flourishing for you and for us. If I didn't think so, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate for it. Okay? Um, so the, the, other, the other two, uh, training opportunities, okay? Training opportunities, again, this is not new. We've, we've had some training opportunities around City Church, okay? What we want to do is see them be excellent and consistent, okay? Not consistently happening, though, okay? These are one to six week type of experience opportunities to outfit our church with really excellent training uh, that will help you grow as a disciple and leader, okay? There's like a million things that can fit into this space. I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped to see you guys leading these, okay? So thank you for, in advance for your commitment. 
For real, though, there's a lot of you who are gifted uh, trainers, teachers, uh, space for you to deploy giftedness in that space. So looking forward to that. Um, and then lastly, kingdom initiatives, okay? So kingdom initiatives, that's the way that we're talking about mission, okay? Uh, we've talked about mission, we've talked about mission, and I think there's some space in which we might have even, uh, like, let, let the concept drift from us. What we're doing is advancing God's kingdom, okay, by inviting people to encounter and follow the king, Right? So we want to see these kingdom initiatives play out um, in small, organic ways and then in big, uh, systematic ways, okay? Uh, Alex is a leader in, in the NET organization. Yeah, you are, buddy. Don't pretend like you're not. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so it, that might look like, hey, my involvement w- with, with the NET on a quarterly basis or on a weekly basis or something, but there's a, you're going to sign up for that, okay? But for others of you... Advancing the kingdom is happening right in your house because you're advancing the kingdom in the, li- in the lives of your kids, okay, or in your neighbors, or inviting people that you work with to study the Bible together. There's a lot of different ways that this can play out, but what we want to see is God's kingdom advance again where? Every generation, okay? Every generation. Okay, so I know we went down like kind of into the weeds, and so I want to pull you back up, okay? Um, so that's, that's where, that's how some of these structures play out that I think are going to be the result of this strategy we have. Does that make sense? We want to be a unified community, like Paul says, building each other up in love through these connections we have with Jesus and with one another. All right, that's why we're going to do everything we're going to do is to, uh, to accomplish that strategy which is built on top of this vision. Okay, everything we're doing is going to be towards that end. All right, and those are some of the structures, some of the big, big buckets of what that's going to look like. Okay. And, uh, and we need your help to make it happen. These connections, building connections that fuel worship is the goal for this next year. Like if I was aiming at a goal, it's building connections that fuel worship, okay? Sunday serve teams, it's not just like a convenient way to restructure to get you to serve on Sundays. You know what you're going to have by Sundays, through Sunday serve teams? Another point of contact with this church. What are you going to have through a, new, uh, a training opportunity with um, some, some moms that you've never been around? or a group of oil and gas lawyers, or a group of musicians, another point of contact. We as human beings in this, in this community, we have these uh, what are called strong and weak ties, okay? And so we want to create connections, build connections that fuel worship so that the whole thing will be built up in love. Does that make sense? That's what we're going after. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped to do it with you. All right, and so the last thing I'll tell you is I want to close by remembering what Application to this, just so you know, belong to Jesus, okay? If you don't belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter if how belonging you are, how connected you are with other people, you got to be connected to the head, okay? Belong to Jesus. Spurgeon talks about this, and he says there, there's no really second part of the conversation until somebody belongs to Jesus. A lot of people get confused because they belong to a church without belonging to Jesus, okay? Belong to Jesus. Receive that. Hear him. Walk with him today. And then the second thing, belong with us. Man, buy, buy into that space, into these connections, so into them. There is room. There's, there's going to be even more opportunities to raise up leaders who are going to lead in God's church, advancing his kingdom. I can't wait, but, but we can't do it apart from you. I'm not trying to make your life more busy. I'm trying to make your life more fruitful. Okay, so there's the applications. Do that. Uh, and I want to close by remembering what Jesus promised about his global church, of which we are a local outpost. Okay, this is what Jesus said about his global church. He said, Matthew 16, 18, Peter just confessed, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ. And, um, and Jesus responds, and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, 
and on this rock I will build my church. A lot of ink spilled on how Peter relates to being the rock, okay? Um, but he, Peter is a leader who's making a confession of who Jesus is, and it's in that, it's on this, on leaders like that, in this confession, that, that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what we are part of as a local outpost of God's global family, we are part of something that the gates of hell cannot stand against. What does that mean? That death cannot stand against us. That the worst evils in all of the world cannot, cannot bring us down, cannot harm us, cannot uh, ruin us. We have nothing to fear because Jesus is our king. That's what we get to have when Jesus is the leader of our church and we belong with him. All right? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in this message that, um, that can feel very strategic about nuts and bolts or about structures, God, would you, would you bring our hearts into the space where we remember that you love your people? Would you cause us to worship you because you have not just brought us into an individualized life of following you by ourselves, but you've brought us into a sense of belonging. You restored what sin has broken a broken relationship with you and a broken relationship with others. And so, God, would you make this church, this local microcosm of your global church, would you make us, Father, unified by the power of your spirit? And would you help us maintain that unity with, with a ferociousness? Help us, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit. Do something in us that we cannot imagine. And would you build connections through us, in us, that fuel our worship of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, and so here, here's what we're going to do now. We get to receive.